Hello and welcome to episode one of series four of Educators, and I'm absolutely delighted to welcome today Irfan Latif, who is the principal of DLD College in London. Irfan, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Angela. I have a large list of accolades to, to read out and I, I'd like to read them all. I know you asked me to decide what I wanted to read, but I'm, I'm definitely going to share this with all of our listeners. So, um, Irfan, you're the multi-award winning principal of DLD College, um, which is part of the influential Alpha Plus group of schools, uh, which was recently named Boarding Boarding School of the Year. And you've taught in and led several independent and state schools in the UK, including uh, being deputy head academic at Bedford School and the headmaster of Sexes School. You're a fellow of the Royal Society of Chemistry and a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, and you've spoken regularly at the Royal Institution of Great Britain. You are and and have been a trustee of several charities and currently the London chair of the BSA and sitting on its executive committee as the inclusion and diversity lead for the sector. And anyone doesn't know, that's the Boarding Schools Association. You co-founded the ISC's Inclusion and Diversity Group in 2020, which works with the major independent educational organisations in the UK and supports the Boarding Schools Association with its EDI strategy. You're also a member of the SOH's Professional Development Committee and a board member of AGBIS. You recently were elected to join the ISA as a trustee on the Executive Council and used to sit on the board of education at the Diocese of Bath and Wells. You're also a governor of a leading prep school and a senior boarding school in the home counties where you're responsible for safeguarding and boarding respectively. You're a keen cook, which we might find out a bit more about later, (laughs) traveller and adventurer. And in the past, you've led expeditions to Everest Base Camp, Venezuela and the Red Sea. And you very much enjoy family time with your wife, Jocelyn, also a science teacher and entrepreneur, and your two young daughters and your Jack Russell, Rodney. Ethan, what, what a, a very yeah, full life a... you lead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and run a school at the same time. And yes, oh yes, we mustn't forget about running the school. So that, that intro is, is very impressive in terms of what you're doing and the, the contributions you're making to well-being and inclusion, which is the focus really of this series four of Educators. Could you just tell me really, um, tell me a little bit about DLD College for those who don't know about it, what it is and, and what you think makes it so different and, and why you're enjoying so much being there? Yes, of course. Um, DLD was set up back in 1931 by Mrs. Davis, Lang and Dick. So many people will have known it as Davis, Lang and Dick College. And that was set up uh, some 90 odd years ago. And that was set up specifically to help kids with their Oxbridge exams uh, and with the colonial services exams at the time. Uh, And then over the years, over the 90 odd years, it has uh, had many reiterations. And uh, we find ourselves now having been in places like Bayswater, Notting Hill, Marlebone. We now find ourselves here at the end of Westminster Bridge, overlooking the Thames and the Houses of Parliament as a boarding school in the heart of London. Um, We are a 14 to 19 co-ed international and domestic boarding school. Uh, We're opening our doors to year nine uh, next September 2023, which is really exciting. And been working with a fabulous group of staff, parents, governors uh, and students. And, uh, you know, we're just doing what we're what we're supposed to do, you know, provide a, a unique experience for our students, uh, provide a fantastic experience also for our staff. And along the way, we've managed to pick up a number of accolades with regards pupil voice, student experience, boarding school of the year, independent boarding school of the year, uh, all of those. And, um, you know, hats off to, to the team here who work really, really hard to make sure that uh, every single student here has a unique learning experience. 
and I guess I was drawn to you and DLD because um, constantly looking and, and working with schools who are uh, looking for innovative ways to provide well-being and success for their students. What does well-being look like for you? I mean, I, I have a fairly good idea after my second visit the other day, which was fantastic. And maybe we can talk about kind of what I saw and, and how it feels there. It feels amazing. Coming into the school feels as if everyone is is with there with a purpose and everyone's happy. What's the secret for you and what does well-being look like at DLD? I think well-being is a, is a mindset. Uh, and it's also a culture. And I think, you know, when you come off the hustle and bustle of Westminster and the South Bank and you come into DLD, it's a, it's an oasis of calm. And, uh, you know, you've got the big atrium there, uh, which is at the heart of the school. Uh, and I think everything that we have done uh, in terms of looking at timetabling, looking at the pastoral care, looking at uh, how we talk to our students, how we engage with each other, or creates that culture uh, of well-being. Uh, we've done a lot of things uh, in terms of the strategies that we put in place to help uh, our students. You know, some of our students come from sort of six, 7,000 miles away uh, to come and board with us, and it's important that they feel like they're at home. Uh, they must feel that they have a voice, they must feel that they are valued, that they must feel that they are being listened to. And I think by creating that culture where they can feel and be themselves, you create that culture of well-being. And uh, for us here as well, as staff, it's important that staff uh, have that voice. It's important that staff feel that they can be heard and be valued. And we try and create that culture here, which, as you said, as soon as you walk in, you can feel it. And uh, that's what we that's what we love about the place. And when I first came here, it was uh, it was very different to what I had experienced before, having run and been in very traditional boarding schools for some 15 odd years uh, and then coming here it was a completely different kettle of fish and I really enjoyed what we've been doing it was a sixth form tutorial college and now it's a you know a boarding school in the heart of London uh, and this is what you know gets me up in the mornings it's um, I've been here now five years and I'm enjoying every every minute of it and you know meeting people like yourselves who are really innovative in the education space and uh, working with the team Team here who are really, really fired up about what we can do here. And the governors, with the support that they give, we're looking at how we can be innovative in the uh, education sector uh, and look at new ways of, uh, of developing those skills amongst our students. So I kind of want to start with your building in terms of innovation. You mentioned it, the location is amazing and your boarders are lucky mm. enough to be able to pop into anywhere. You mentioned the other day that V&A, if they want to go at the weekend or, or, or wherever they would like to explore in London. But there is a theory that human society was built up around circles and a tribe sitting in circles around the fire and, and, and building communities, sitting around at a round table instead of a square table. And your whole building is circular, which I find fascinating. And it kind of creates a different energy really in it in terms of how everybody moves around and the feeling there. Do you think there's something to, to, to be said for the, also the shape of your building in terms of how it is creating that? Very much so because of our shape. And as you say, it's round, it's circular. It's, for us, it symbolizes the wraparound care that we have for our students, that 24-7 uh, care that we have, that culture of care that's uh, embedded uh, here at DLD lends itself to, to the building. So there's no sharp edges, there's no harsh uh, sides. It's all very smooth. And that's how I hope that our pastoral care, our education, the opportunities that we provide our students are reflected 
constructed uh, in our building. So what you see is what you get, actually. <laughs> and it is those very clean lines. The building looks very much like the Guggenheim in New York. And so it's very aesthetically pleasing. And I suppose the building, the architecture also lends itself uh, to our culture of well-being. I've, like you, have worked in boarding schools before where the boarding houses are kind of separate just down the road or across the playing fields or whatever. But your boarding houses are actually integral to the to your to your circular building aren't they that's right so we have uh, the whole circular building and it goes up to 18 floors so we have three floors of teaching and then 15 floors uh, of teaching uh, of boarding sorry and so you know the kids have a 40 to 50 second journey in the mornings to get down to uh, to school they're still late but you know everything is here on site so not only do we have uh, our you know we have a small basketball court just at the back here but we also have a swimming pool in the basement which the kids have access to and our staff we have a gym uh, we have a saw as well. Uh, so everything is here. So during lockdown, our students were very well catered for. Yeah. And um, interestingly, you're saying, what should I do with that big round space and in, in the kind of the, the atrium part? And I was like, well, what, yeah. how do you use it right now? And would you mind explaining a little bit kind of how that kind of morphs from being a space during the day to a space during the evening for your students and kind of carrying on that wraparound care? Of course. I mean, it, during the day, it is a, a social hub. It's a place where we would have our assemblies, where we would come together. Obviously, this is post-pandemic, where we would have concerts, where we would have award ceremonies, we'll have plays, productions, uh, guest speakers coming in. So it is a multifunctional hall during the course of the day. But in the evenings, it becomes the border's social space. It becomes a living room. So we do have a big screen with projectors. And so, you know, they'll watch the football or or they'll have karaoke, or they'll play the latest game on the Xbox, etc. We've also got gaming stations around the hall as well, which are, are not played during the day, uh, but are played during the evenings when the kids want to just kick back and just play FIFA or whatever. And it's uh, yeah, it's a great social space uh, in the evenings. And um, you know, we've also in the evenings of use the hall to do things like uh, Burns Night or celebrate Ramadan uh, or Diwali uh, and all of those cultural experiences as well for the kids. Uh, and what about academic? You you mentioned the other day when I came in, we were talking about the the new Key Stage More and your innovative curriculum, which is um, you, you've been working on together with your your team to ensure that your students have success at all levels. What does that look like and why did you decide to develop your own curriculum and pathway? We wanted to look and see what the jobs of tomorrow, what skills our kids now needed to have. And we looked at the World Economic Forum and we discussed what sort of skills, what sort of industries now were becoming the, the go-to industries. And you were looking at things like data and AI, content production, cloud computing, engineering. In engineering, in the sense you were you were building architectural spaces within the technological sphere. So it was things like Python developer or full stack engineer or JavaScript developer all things that don't mean anything to me really but it was looking at those sort of careers and what sort of skills were we going to be giving our students in order to be able to cope in those marketplaces because you know we're looking at now what are the jobs that our kids are going for and they're looking and you know jobs such as big data specialists 
never was on my careers list when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, AI and machine learning specialists, data analysis and scientists, uh, process automation specialists. So all of those sort of jobs now are what are kids are going to be going into and what skills can I give as an educator as a facilitator to be able for them to be competing in this really new world these emerging roles uh, which are uh, going to be the jobs for tomorrow so we looked at our curriculum really really closely and uh, we we spoke with governors we spoke with uh, students we spoke with our parents uh, and it was an opportunity now to really start again and look at how we can develop that curriculum in order to give our uh, students a, a real good handle of what what they can achieve going forward. So we have our key stage three in our traditional schools. We don't have key stage three here, but come in year nine, we'll be looking at uh, key stage uh, four and then obviously key stage five. So at key stage, we call it key stage more. Uh, we will be offering a, a traditional GCSE course, you know, with the standard, you know, maths, English, science, humanities, etc. Uh, but we're also alongside that having options such as esports, which I'm really, really excited about. And I know you're a real huge champion yep, uh, of esports. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at entrepreneurship. We're looking uh, at areas of business such as cryptocurrency and NFTs. And so our uh, uh, academic team here, which has been admirably led by Dr. Sarah Watson, who joined us from the International School of Geneva. She has come in and literally torn up the rule book and said, right, this is how we're going to be uh, doing this. Uh, and the new year nine curriculum, which starts in September 23, is looking at those really important key skills that future employees are looking for. Things like your critical thinking, uh, looking at problem solving, uh, but more importantly, looking at collaboration and how these kids are going to be working together and developing those skills. She's been looking at inquiry-based learning where you are working uh, independently, but then you've got your project-based learning as well, which is going to form a huge part of that year nine curriculum, looking at how those kids work together, looking at how they build and able to produce something at the end of the day which has been the efforts uh, of all of those uh, within that team and looking at which skills each of those particular students have and using uh, using it as, as effectively as possible. It's absolutely, from my point of view, <laughs> the right way to go following the, the WEF kind of recommendations for skills that, that we need to be developing in our students. Somehow, sometimes it's, it's quite difficult to prepare parents for that or to kind of communicate the importance of the skill-based and project-based learning. How did it go down with parents and, and what was the response? Yeah, some parents were obviously not keen and in, in terms of, you know, they didn't quite know much much about it. But going yeah. forward, uh, you know, the parents are, you know, this is something that the kids need to know and have yeah. bought into this. And we've already had a number of kids now signed up and we only just announced it a couple of weeks ago. We've already got a number of kids signed up for 2023. We're working in partnership with a number of prep schools in London as well in order to uh, ensure there's a, a, the right pathway for those kids. It's not going to be for mm-hmm. everyone, but those kids uh, and parents who are innovative, who are entrepreneurial, who are mm-hmm. looking at ways in which we can now make a, a huge uh, impact on society... Uh, that's where we're going to get our traction from. You know, who ever thought you could plug a car in the wall and then drive all the way up to Scotland and back? You know, the the electric car has transformed the way that we uh, look at uh, travel now in terms of pollution, in terms of um, efficiency. Uh, And so, you know, what has happened in technology over the past 20 10, 20 years is, has completely transformed our lives. And I think that's what needs to happen now with education. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Irfan. And developing digital skills in our students that isn't just trundling down to an IT suite once a week. So it's an integral part of their learning is is so important if they're to be successful. And, and, and in my opinion, well-being is about giving everyone opportunities to be successful, because if we are successful and fulfilled, then whether we have yoga or yeah. not, <laughs> we're fulfilled and and that gives us a sense of well-being. So you mentioned esports, which I'm absolutely, completely passionate about. Uh, and I, I gave you the story of my daughter who went to UMass and then followed a normal journalism career and ended up digital content manager at the Boston Celtics for their esports team. And I was absolutely gobsmacked when I went to Boston and saw that the games for the esports teams were better attended than the actual physical games. She said, mom, you know what, this is this is earning us more money than the actual physical game. So tell me about your decision to kind of move into the esports arena, which I wholeheartedly support. I think we're one of the, the first schools to be uh, embarking on this. And I know that there's another, uh, a couple of other schools who are um, who are thinking about going down this route Angela again it's it's what does the market need what does mm -hmm. the 21st century learner need now some parents have gone esports or is gaming you know what, what is my mm. you know I'm not going to send my school not send my kid to your school because they're just going to be sitting there playing games but I think you know we've got to be open-minded about this and look at how how esports has developed uh, as you said you know your your daughter working working for the Boston Celtics you know they get they get they earn more money than they do uh, playing the physical game and mm -hmm. so you know what are these gamers you know, what's the potential learnings there? You know, what skills are they uh, are they developing as a result? And you look at the the skills that they will have. Of course, they'll have their academic skills when they're when they're gaming. So you're going to be looking at, you know, your maths and your uh, physics uh, and your tech. That that will be the sort of the STEM area which we are providing as part of our standardized curriculum uh, but then they're going to need those those skills and which we're developing you know back in year nine so looking at teamwork collaboration mm -hmm. so that comes from the project-based learning uh, and your mm -hmm. inquiry-based learning self-motivation what kid does not want to play games uh, leadership so who's going to be leading in those particular areas when they're doing those yeah. project-based learnings creativity it's about creating those games you know looking at coding yeah. so there's an element of learning there uh, and of course adaptability being able to be flexible in the way you approach your problems and how you solve them. And so I think all of those skills are going to be really, really important going forward. And these are the skills that those employers are looking for. And the esports industry is huge. You know, we've got a number of staff here who are really, really keen uh, to run mm -hmm. with this. And, you know, I've, I've heard some of your uh, podcasts when you're talking to the, the likes of um, Matt Tompkins in, in Dubai, mm -hmm. who has been really uh, on the charge there with esports. Uh, and it's looking at how that ecosystem within esports is going to grow and what uh, and what is going to come off of esports. So not only are you going to be looking at coding and, and building games, but you're also going to be looking at sports management you know we're, we're developing yeah. a league here now that we're going to be competing with, uh, against other schools and those schools don't have to just be in the UK looking at time zones you're going to be looking at schools across the across the globe uh, to compete in those particular sports tournaments it is about entrepreneurship at the end of the day uh, you're going to be looking at financing uh, and areas such as that which is going to you know support the skills that our kids are going to need 
it's fantastic and it's such a, a an innovative initiative um, particularly within what is usually a traditional market which is the British boarding school market mm-hmm. do you think that the other schools might follow your lead what's your because you also have a role on the boarding schools association do you think there, there might be some some movement for for esports and these more um, skill-based curriculums across the boarding schools in the UK I think there will be I think um, lots of schools now are considering this lots more universities now are creating mm. a pathway I think the Sheffield Hallam Staffordshire universities uh, they have now got uh, degree courses in esports uh, I think mm. Oxford University has uh, joined yeah. in with Tencent one of the biggest esports companies uh, in the world to look at how uh, you know for hosting uh, esports tournaments so I think you know there's, there's traction building uh, as we go along and I think more and more schools are going to be looking at how they can offer offer this because this is what uh, our kids are looking at. I mean, my girls are on Minecraft and they love Minecraft mm-hmm. and it has allowed them to work collaboratively. I see them working with other kids online, which is great. Uh, I've seen them being creative in the way they build their houses and they build their towns uh, within yep. um, the Minecraft sphere. And that collaborative and that uh, creativity is something that esports is going to really hone their skills in. And I think loads more schools now, once they see the benefits of a course such as esports, will be adopting it, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you look at it, how it's taken off in the States, mm. it's it's huge in the States. And even, the, you know, the government-run schools have got big esports studios that are kind of sponsored by Microsoft or or whoever is kind of in, in that state. So I, I hope so, very much so, in terms of the opportunities it offers to students. So you are incredibly busy, uh, Fan, and you are incredibly <laughs> successful. You talked about your family and your, your wife, who's also entrepreneurial and incredi- incredibly successful like you and setting up her own business. How how do you look after your well-being in, in all of this? Because this is a big issue right now for heads, right? We, yeah, yeah, teacher yeah, well-being yeah. has been on the agenda for a long time, but head well-being is... Is, is in my mind a very big issue too. What's the secret? Do you know the secret is when you've got good governors and mm-hmm. I take my hat off to my governors who've been absolutely brilliant. You know, they supported me throughout the pandemic where we saw schools suffering, schools closing up and down the country. Governors were 100% behind our strategies with regards mm-hmm. how we combat the, uh, the pandemic. And so that for me, because I've had the support of governors, has given me that sense of well-being. So your relationship with governors is, is critical if you're in the education sphere. But personally, what do I do? It's important we switch off. We have a no email after seven o'clock policy uh, at school. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's that's right for my even for my senior team. If there's an emergency, mm-hmm. pick up the phone, have a chat discuss it and, and move on. We're a boarding school. So, you know, we're around 24-7, but there are mm. colleagues who can deal and making sure that those staff have the skills in order to be able to deal with any issues that turn up. And of course, you know, at the weekends, we have a no email at the weekends as well. So, you know, I can spend time with Joe and the girls, uh, mm. meet up with friends and family, etc. Uh, and, and genuinely switch off, which is really important. I do have a tendency to be, you know, looking at, uh, looking at the phone and just checking in. I am the head after all, and I don't want, you know, 
I wanted it to be an issue that I, you know I could have dealt with and you know averted yeah. a, a potential issue. But at the same time, you know I, I enjoy that, uh, and uh, I also enjoy you know spending time with the family and meeting up with friends. And you know that's that's been really important since the pandemic. You know we've been working on screen, we've been you know having yeah. those Zoom meetings and Zoom dinners and things like that. But now that we can actually physically go and see friends and family, that has been that has been lovely. So yeah, and of course the dog as well. The dog's great. You know, take the dog out for a walk, an opportunity <laughs> to, to think and get some time, uh, some me time as, as you do that. So uh, it's great. And of course, you know, we do all the sort of normal things and go to the cinema now, now that we can and go off on holiday and go down to the coast. It's just nice just to be able to do that now and not fear about, um, you know, lockdowns and things like that. But, you know, never say yeah. never. We never know if that will happen again. But I think now if it did happen, we would know exactly what to do and hopefully uh, be in a much better position than when we were when this first hit. Absolutely. And I, I mean, you can't beat human interaction. And, and again, thank you for very much for letting me come and see updates at DLD College this this week. And I would absolutely encourage people, and I hope you don't mind me saying, <laughs> to, to go and visit you and see what you're doing, because it is a, an incredible feeling when you walk into the building and to kind of feel the energy there. You introduced me to your head girl. Is that, that how you, you, you term? We call it head of school, head of school. Head of school. Um, and what an inspirational kind of young lady, incredibly articulate, really passionate about what she was doing. There's the young lady as well in her art class talking about her kind of the metaphor of her her artwork and just incredibly inspirational students that you've got that I think you know that culture is created by the head so congratulations on on creating such an inspirational innovative boarding school and group of students and must be an absolute pleasure to work for you uh, fans so thank you very much for for giving this time to us and for sharing your insights into what well-being looks like and how innovative well-being can be we don't just have to do the yoga and everything else we can actually look at the curriculum we can actually look at what we're doing to create success pathways for students and also at the same time listen to our teachers and and those who have excellent innovative ideas so thank you so much for spending this time discussing that with us no, thank you very much, Angela. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity that uh, you and Full Circle Education Consultancy have given me. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for another insightful episode with Angela Fairs from Full Circle. And thank you for listening. To get in touch with Angela, check out her website. It's fullcircle-education.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.